Great Sugar Booger, ladies and gentlemen, season four of Chewing the Gristle. We've got some magnificent guests queued up and ready to roll. Of course, Chewing the Gristle, it's guitar-oriented, but we talk about whatever. Can you dig it? And this glorious broadcast, if you will, is brought to us by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing you such a variety of glorious instruments, it'll tempt your mind, body, and soul. And our friends at Fishman Transducers, beautiful Andover, Massachusetts, providing all kinds of -of state-of-the-art accoutrement to take your acoustic instrument and fire it up to blast people's brains into submission. And of course, their pickups, especially those with the Gristletone moniker, are fantastic! Let's get to it, folks! This week on Chewing the Gristle, we have the majestic and powerful John Gom, acoustic guitar player extraordinaire, singer-songwriter of doom and destruction, and plays a pretty wicked drum set on his guitar as well. Hailing from the UK, ladies and gentlemen, this week... It's John Gomb. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have gotten together once again to engage in convivial chewing the gristle activities. Tonight, today, mid-afternoon, whatever the hell it may be that you listen to this, you will hear the mightiest of John Goms here, who, Hello. I, who I have uh, been watching and uh, absolutely being amazed by, watching and listening to your absolutely majestic musical prowess. How the heck are you? I'm fine. That's weird that you've watched me play. I don't know why, but it's just weird. <laughs> I I've watched you that... play a lot. I saw you do a workshop when I was a student. When I was a music student, you came to city that I was in and um, played a, a, you know, did a clinic in a guitar store. I guess it was probably for Fender, but I don't know. That could so, have been, um, yep. Yeah, but uh, it was a long time ago, and you were pretty fucking amazing. And uh, oh, well, thank <laughs> yeah, you, sir. So, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite weird. And actually, I once pl- we once played. I played a uh, music messer, and you know they have that huge stage. Oh yeah, that's, and I played on there, and um, I think you were right before or right after me. But they had two stages side by side, so they can run it really mercilessly, kind right. of tightly. Exactly. And if you go like thirty seconds over your allotted time, they start shouting at you. And if you go like sixty seconds over your allotted time, they start literally closing the curtain exactly. <laughs> in front of you. Yeah, the, the Germans don't mess around. Nope, they do not. Yeah. They, they run a tight ship. But unfortunately, they do not that, mess around or tolerate anybody else messing around. That's correct. It's, it is a little sad that the whole uh, music mess of thing has kind of run its course, though. That was, that was, always, a, that was always a good time in its way. Yeah, yeah. I found it a little big and stressful. There's a really cool one now in Mannheim called Guitar Summit, which I've done a couple of times. It's much I have smaller heard about than music. That. It's really nice. Really recommend it. It's really good. It's like anyway, in September, yeah, like, right? Yeah, yes, September. Um, it's cool. Yeah. Anyway, you probably wanted to say something. No, no, no. This, this, this is this is how this goes. We just we just shoot the breeze, as it, as the case may be. So it's early evening there. Am I not? Am I correct? It is um, early evening. Yeah, I can't tell you what time exactly because um, I just don't know. But I'm guessing probably it's about six o'clock or something. So yeah, it's um, it's pitch black already outside because it's quite far north here. Yes, so you're up by uh, you're in Leeds, right? I live in a place called Saltaire, which is a little village. The closest city is Leeds. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a cool, weird little bohemian village full of artisan coffee shops and. You know, a new a new ale house and deli just opened. It's that kind of place. Aha. Uh-huh. Now have you uh I would imagine that you're back to some semblance of normality as far as your touring schedule and things of this nature. What does a typical typical week look like for you? So um this weekend just gone, I was in Estonia. The weekend before that I was in Norway. Um I did uh I've done quite a few different countries this year, but only Europe so far. Um, since you know, since the uh, the plague, 
I've right. not ventured out of Europe yet. But yeah, it's it's odd. It's been I don't. It's really hard to explain because it sounds like I I can't be being honest, but it just feels like the first time that I got back on a stage felt like the first time I'd ever been on a stage. And the first time that I kind of got on a plane again felt like the first time I'd ever done that. And I think um, it wasn't just because it had been so long, it's because I'd really kind of been, the pandemic was really fucking weird for me. I kind of lost my mind quite a lot. And um, yeah, so I kind of felt a bit reborn afterwards. And um, um, it's it's it was a you know a positive thing for me in the end, but um, yeah. So I've never enjoyed touring anywhere near as much as I am at the moment. It's Excellent. amazing, and playing shows has just been. I can't even put it into words, and I've just changed completely, like what my priority is on a stage as well. And it, I just want to, you know, feel stuff myself. Right. That's that's it. And if that happens, I don't care about anything else that happens. You know, if I play wrong notes or if, um, you know, the, the audience is smaller because that's been a, an issue post-pandemic is audiences aren't quite back up to what they were. Or, you know, I, I just don't care about any of that stuff. It's interesting you should say that because I've kind of been of the same mindset of, <clears throat> you know, you get to a gig and once you get everything set up and you play, it's like, for me, it's, it's like, I don't care if, I mean, Granted, it's great if the place is packed, but if it's not, uh, I'm like, I'm there to play. And it's just being there, being able to uh, perform and do the thing in that moment in time. I don't care about anything else. And it's all good. I'm not obsessing about, oh my God, is this going to happen to your point about, oh, this messed up? Or that? I'm just like, to me, as far as I'm concerned, whatever's meant to happen is meant to happen in that moment. And I enjoy it for what it is. And afterwards, I just don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that. That's a that's a good way of looking at it. I, I I have been able to listen to myself as well, like recordings or videos, without wanting to claw off my own skin, which is very weird. It's <laughs> it's a very new experience for me. So yeah, it's um, uh, it, you know, it's it's been great to get back out. Is the kind of biggest understatement that I could possibly say, but it, it really has though. No, I, I do. I do have to say, I have to ask you about being in Estonia, being, of course, so close to an interesting part of the world these days. Was there some interesting insight you gleaned from those individuals while you were over there? I mean, Estonia is a really yeah, there is. So in, Estonia is a, an interesting example because it was uh, in the Soviet Union until I think nineteen ninety. After the wall came down, it was still quite late to kind of get really out of the kind of um, just the control really from from Soviet Union and uh, then obviously Russia after that. So it, it, um, it's mid-90s really. So it's really recent that it's been what you would call a free and democratic country, but it really is. The people there are really free thinking. They have very interesting, thoughtful perspectives on life and the world um, that, I don't know, it's like it's going back to COVID, it's like the, the, a kind of mindset that you can only get, a sense of freedom you can only get if you've been released from a prison. Right. And yeah, but it's it's a beautiful country. It's so, it's like magical. It's like the sky is so kind of this bright blue. All the light is blue because the further north you go on in the world, everything starts to look blue and everything you know, is just full of these kind of graphite lakes it looks like you know a mystical hand should rise up out of every lake clutching a sword you know it's just <laughs> it's an extraordinary it's such a magical place and yeah it just shows you like what can happen and how quickly it can happen when democracy or not necessarily democracy in terms of just voting for politicians or whatever, but the kind of concept of of just not being controlled and not being under an authoritarian re regime is how quickly it can change. And one thing about Estonia is it's really close to Finland, and and, and during Soviet times, um, the 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 Finns kind of boosted their TV and radio transmitters a little bit extra so that people in Estonia could watch Finnish TV 
and Finnish, um, listen to Finnish radio. So they have this kind of um, Scandinavian culture that's become a little bit embedded there. And, um, you know, they're all into like the Moomins, if people know what the Moomins are. They're like little cartoon characters from that part of the world. Excellent. So it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a really um, open, just nice place. I recommend going there too. Beautiful. I've been to Lithuania. I think I may have been in Estonia back in the day as well, but it, it's hard to recall. But yeah, I know if you fly exactly in for a day and you can't remember. I know what you. I know what you mean. Yeah, but it is beautiful there, without a doubt. It, you know, it's it's not dissimilar to uh, being in northern Wisconsin or being up in uh, in uh, the UP. It's it's that similar similar unspoiled, delicious Nordic landscape. Yeah, that's why so many special. of the, so many of the people from those areas, when they emigrated over here, they ended up in those parts because it probably reminded them of home, as it were. Yeah, I guess so. But I uh, guess so, yeah. Yes, beautiful parts of the world. So let me ask you this. When you're traveling around, how extensive is your is the rig that you bring to get that majestic tone that you get? I wonder if I can show it to you without unplugging my shit and making everything explode. Um, okay. It's plugged into the mains, so I can only come about this far. Is it on That's the all right. It's my pedal board. It's upside down. If I pull it any further, I'm going to pull it out of the mains and it'll explode. Oh, no so worries. There's my pedal board right here. So it's it's actually it looks quite complicated. I have an in, I have an interface on my pedal board, which is quite weird. Which is actually what I'm, my audio is going through right now. So I'll try not to unplug it. And um, the re, that so my guitar pickups get mixed inside there. Okay. So I have three pickups in my guitar. There's a microphone, a humbucker, and a transducer. And they get mixed inside here and then output in one signal into this thing, which is a, a TC Helicon Voice Live, which is like a multi-effects, but for guitar and vocal at the same time. I got you. And then I have a couple more pedals. Uh, one is an octave pedal, which is for... Um, it just So these two... Effects pedals only run on the magnetic pickup in the guitar. You wouldn't want them on the microphone, probably, or the, the other pickups in the guitar. So this is the octave pedal to add an extra kind of layer of bass to my guitar sometimes. And then this is my favorite pedal in the whole world, which is the Zoom Multi-Stomp. There's a few different ones. There's a MS-70, MS-50, and... It's like a multi-effects in a single stomper, and it has loads of copies of famous reverbs and delays. Aha! Uh -huh. Particularly kind of fancy special effecty ones, like uh, Strymon ones and Eventide ones. So it has knockoffs of those in there. But you can, because they're in the same pedal, and you can chain effects together, you can run the knockoff Eventide black hole into the knockoff Strymon blue sky if you want to, and see what happens. Aha. Uh -huh. And it also has amp simulators in there, which are not so good that I would like record an electric guitar with them. But for me, putting some overdrive on my acoustic guitar live, they're super it cool. Does the job. So you can bring that pedal board and go into the board and get some. That just stuff goes to the front of the house there. Yeah. So get some um, stuff back in the monitors and you're good to go. No, I don't even use monitors anymore. I just have in ears come straight out of my board. So oh, there you go. To be honest, they could turn off the PA and uh, I'd have a great gig. <laughs> just, be just going out on my pedal board. Um, so, uh, yeah, so my, um, yeah, I started using in-ears because I have a condenser mic inside the guitar. Um, I like using a condenser mic for singing into um, live as well. So if you have monitors on stage, things can get a little bit squealy if you're not very careful. So, um, yeah, it's funny because it's, it's, my sound checks are much shorter than a band or, you know, with loads of musicians. But actually to try and amplify an acoustic guitar and voice when I'm trying to make as much sound as I make with all the pickups and hitting the guitar for the drums and the kind of frequency range from the guitar and then adding layers of, you know, sometimes I'll have three or four reverbs going at the same time and delays and compressors and all this stuff. Actually, it's a little bit of a, all that stuff, really, you'd want to add afterwards. All that stuff is, you know, you'd record the guitar and vocal and add all of that stuff afterwards. Trying to do it live, um, it can be a little bit of a, a sonic nightmare. So, yeah, um, in-ear monitors kind of save my bacon, really. Yeah, I like it. It's important to save one's bacon at all times. I think so. Yeah, you, you never know when you might <laughs> when you might need it. Maybe, <laughs> is that why you're wearing the hat? Is that what you've got under there? Just rashes right. of bacon. 
Exactly. <laughs> Rashers of bacon. Just in case. Emergency. What is an emergency? A bacon emergency? I would say a bacon emergency is probably just an absence of bacon. That's, exactly. That's that, enough. That's a fact. So let me ask you this about, you know, playing style stuff. I mean, you, you do so many different things. I'm interested as to when the different things were introduced. Like one of the things that you do is the kind of banjo tuner-esque detuning of things to get those did, kind of did things. Did you ever that, try that on electric guitar? Well, you know, I had a uh, a Clarence White telly for uh -huh. a while, and I would mess with, around with, with that a B bender. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Correct. I love the old shoulder shrug. Exactly. That you have to do with the B bender. It, it looks like you just—it's just inexplicable unless you know what's going on. It's like, what? What's wrong with that guy? Yeah, you know? what's wrong with that fellow? You know what? To me, the the B benders mess with my back. I uh, my back went out once at a Nam show of all things, and it was because I was using a B bender. And uh, since then, I you know I make sure I do all these different you exercises. You know what? I remember now. Now you say it. I remember you using a B bender because it's such a distinctive sound. It's like pedal steely thing. You can't get those bends. I don't. Or maybe you can, but I couldn't get those bends um, without it. Yeah, and it's the same with the banjo pegs. It's a super similar thing. It's also from a similar kind of bluegrassy world or country world as the as the as the B bender. You know, trying to, so because they from a banjo but they're special locking pegs right exactly yeah so um they're awesome fun to use but i'm kind of i mean i see you as being a guitarist who's covered a lot of styles and likes to mush them together and probably doesn't see that distinct boundaries really so even though you might think in your head okay i'm gonna play a country lick now what that means to you is your library of country and your mental's you know, you're probably not going to bang out a certain kind of lick. You're not going to play like a, I don't know, a, a, a Johnny Cash lick or a Scotty Moore lick. You're probably thinking of something else. I'm just saying from having heard you play, it's other things that will be in, in your repertoire and um, just based on what you like. And, and, and I'm kind of the same where I do love musical genres and I really respect the traditions behind them. But on the other hand, I just want to do everything i don't want to be restricted myself and think well i've got to play within this genre or within this scale or anything and i've always hated that um i'm really into bruce lee so bruce lee developed his own martial art called jeet kune do which which i study and it's not actually a system of martial arts it's actually more of a philosophy really which is just take the bits of every martial art that you know or that he knows when he knew a lot, <laughs> um, right. and take the bits that work, um, and just incorporate those together and reject all the the nonsense. But don't reject reject it for the sake of it. It's a, it's about just finding what works, and that, and that's different for each individual person as well. So with music, it's a similar it's a similar thing, or it can be that, that can be your approach, and and um, it works for me. I could never be a classical musician because I don't have the patience or the attention to detail. I make too many mistakes, you know, so yeah, I like a creative approach. <laughs> I understand completely what you're talking about. Now, in terms of like influences, you know, I, uh, I found, um, you know, there's of the great, you know, kind of English guitar, acoustic guitar guys, you know, I love listening to those old Davy Graham records. I was listening to this Davy Graham record yesterday, the uh, Mr. Guitar, it's called. And it's just him and a drummer. And, uh, and he's not doing any singing, singing on the record. He's just playing, and it was it was fascinating. And then, uh, and of course, you got Burt Janch, and you got John Renborn, and all these. How, mu how much were those guys an influence on you? You know what? Not not that much, really. Um, it's I didn't really come from that direction. So I, I played electric guitar mostly. The acoustic styles that I'd learned in my youth were classical guitar and blues guitar more than anything else. And just kind of, you know, finger style versions of pop songs that I'd learned from, you know, old books, mostly written by classical guitarists. And um, yeah, so really I came to electric guitar. And when I came to acoustic guitar, it was because I wanted to make more noise on my own than you can make with an electric guitar because the frequency range is kind of squished into a small mid-range area and they're dynamically much, there's much smaller range of electric guitar as well. So... I just wanted to make this big noise with acoustic guitar. And it was um, because of Michael Hedges, number one, and who's an American 
fingerstyle guitarist who kind of reinvented the steel string acoustic guitar, really. Right. And also an English singer-songwriter called Nick um, Harper, who is more influenced by Led Zeppelin than he is by a lot of folk stuff. The one English kind of folk guitarist that I... I mean, I do love those guys. I, mean, I went to see Bert Janch and John Renborn, and I was lucky enough to get to see them live and stuff and really made a point of going to see them. And they're amazing. The one that I really loved from that period is Nick Drake, who's a singer-songwriter, but also an incredible guitar player doing really cool stuff in really weird tunings and quite kind of ethereal guitar playing. And it was very beautiful. Um, yeah, so my background is, is a little bit a little bit different to that. And I often am doing what I consider to be kind of electric guitar stuff, whether it's tapping or kind of fast legato stuff or whatever on acoustic guitar. I'm often thinking like that, so. Yes. So when, when at what point did you kind of go in that more in that direction in terms of just being a solo acoustic singer-songwriter type of fella? Yeah, I think it's because I was just starting to kind of want to, I don't know, I, being in bands when I was a kid, I'm quite good at being in a band if somebody's telling me what to do and I'm like the session guy. Uh, or my job is to show off on the guitar. That's fine. But if I'm in a band where it's a shared creative experience, um, then, which is what most bands really want to be, I really struggle socially with that. Like, I'm not very good at, at sharing that creative process. So I'm neurodiverse and I have to like apply what's known as masking, which is just in order to be able to communicate with people effectively. And when I'm, there are certain times when I cannot do that, which is, um, and one of those is if I'm kind of hyper-focused and creating music and writing or arranging or composing or whatever. And in that state, in that mindset, I cannot then um, kind of modulate my social interactions with somebody else. So it would have to be somebody who was either incredibly forgiving of just me being unbelievably blunt and direct <laughs> or just telling them to fuck off, I can't deal, I can't talk to you at the moment for the next three hours. I'm busy. Uh, or um, <laughs> or somebody who was the same as me, in which case, you know, that might be a disaster as well. But any, So I just needed to work solo, really. So uh, that's why the acoustic thing became, you know, so important to me. But um, a lot of my favourite guitarists are still electric guitarists. And my biggest single, probably, guitar influence is Joe Satriani. He's probably my number one single biggest influence, kind of technically and also in terms of his writing and his harmonies that he, he uses and his kind of experimental approach and his, his approach to implementing theory in a very direct way. So he sees a scale or whatever, whatever right. <laughs> theoretical artifact. He sees it as a useful tool, a trick almost. That's it. That's it. It's not some kind of rule for life, you know? Right, right. And so you you did get a degree in in jazz, right? Is that was that what your your field? Yeah, was that's why um, that's why I don't have a job, Greg. <laughs> what a mistake! I could have made something of my of my life. I could have done. It's interesting because I my my uh, field of study was jazz guitar as well, even though okay, I had no because uh, well, that was really the only kind of accredited. Yeah, yeah. Study you could do. It, it was like, know. yeah, you can do obviously a classical music degree, but we can't let people do pop music degrees because boy, you can't do a degree in that. But jazz, jazz is intellectual enough that we can let people do degrees in it. So I was in the, I mean, I do love jazz and I did, you know, and I did, I, I can play a bit of jazz, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I was at the same jazz college at the same time as Tom Quayle. I don't know if you know oh, that no, guitarist. I do, know, I do know Tom. I spent some time with him this summer, as a matter of fact. Okay. Yeah, so uh, me and Tom have known each other for um, tw when, over 20 years because of that. Uh, he was actually in the same class as my wife. Um, I was a year ahead. So um, yeah, we've known each other a long time. We still He still only lives like two miles down the road from me and we hang out all the time and stuff. So Tell him I say hello. I will, yeah. So, yeah, but he he was, uh, back then, he first remembers me shredding on electric guitar, playing kind of fusion-y Greg Howie stuff on electric guitar. That's how he first remembers me, you know? Um, so there you go. 
crazy. And so what, what, when you were at school, what kind of a, uh, the reason why I'm always fascinated about, about, you know, people's experience at quote unquote jazz studies programs is that it, it seems as though more of the exception is to have uh, people who are open-minded, who are instructors there that are inclusive of the sure. fact that you, you, you know, you want to be musically literate, but at the same token, you want to do your own thing with it. Oh yeah. Jazz, fas- jazz fascism. Exactly. Real, or was. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely real. So not every teacher was like that. I, Oh, yeah, it was tough going. It was tough going. Sometimes you'd have teachers who... <laughs> my favourite ever experience was uh, this one uh, composition teacher. And he was great. He used to arrange for big band. He was absolutely amazing musical brain. And one time he came into um, like a room that I was sitting in and I was listening to something on my uh, headphones. I was listening to, um, I, I think, Meshuggah on my headphones. And he said, uh, Tony said, oh, what are, you, what are you listening to? And I said, oh, it's this metal band, you know. And I said, oh, can I have a listen? So he put the headphones on and he listened, kind of thoughtfully, kind of paying attention. And he just gave me the headphones back and he didn't say anything. So I said, well, what did you think of it? And he said, mm, well, it's all right. It doesn't really swing. And I, <laughs> <laughs> what the? Perfect. What? Amazing. Yeah, he wants that same guy actually once marked one of my chords wrong. <laughs> so I wrote in one of my compositions, one of my chords was just wrong. I said, you know, what, what's wrong with this? He just had a big cross next to it. And I said, what's wrong with this? And he said, it's got a flat nine in it. And I said, yeah, but it sounds good if you, if you played it. And he did, to his credit, then play it on his piano and say, oh, actually, no, it does work. <laughs> and just let me have, have that chord. It was a lot. What, what always fascinated me about the, uh, the, the, you know, jazz guys like that, or jazz jazz people, is the fact that they um, they would frequently refer to, oh, that's just that rock shit. But to them, it's like everything between like the monkeys and like King Crimson was the same <laughs> shit. You know, uh, it was that rock. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's, there's a whole yeah. huge difference between this, that, and the next thing. Another thing I always thought was fascinating about music school is that, you know, from my perspective, you know, back in the time where I was going to school, it was like most people were there either to be uh, band directors or if they were going to be professional musicians, they were going to be like, you know, lounge musicians. They were going to play on a cruise ship or play. And back then, you know, you could, you know, every Holiday Inn had a band. And so you could literally tour around from one place to the next, but, you know, you'd have to you know, do your lounge set and then play the hits, the hits of yesterday and never, or whatever the case would be. And, uh, and what was interesting is that these people would, you know, do their music school stuff during the day. And then at night when you'd see them socially, they'd listen to like the, the most horrific contemporary pop shit. And, Cause there was a rift in their minds. Like, no, I don't think you would get the, the music. I want to learn and be professional is the same shit. I live 24 hours a day. That was always the thing that was bizarre to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There was this, it's weird there's shift in the mind of between this is what I'm going to do for a living. And then the other stuff is, yeah, I don't know, just bizarre. Yeah. That is of course, weird. That's my thing. You know what I mean, John, it's my issues. I took away from my musical experience. Anything I'm still I can do to help through. you process that and, and lead a normal life, Greg. I'm happy exactly, to be here. <laughs> so the thing is, is that one of the, what kind of replaced that or um, the kind of lounge band is the acoustic singer guitarist in the corner of yeah you know a restaurant and i did so many gigs like that over the years so i'd just have my acoustic guitar and be singing i'd slip in a couple of my own songs or some kind of arrangements that had fun guitar parts but most of the time i was just strumming chords or finger picking chords and playing you know pop hits of the day and i still know loads of people who do that and it's and you know I, i i thank the heavens for for Ed Sheeran, who's keeping that kind of approach to making music in the public mindset, you know, because he's this, just a guy with a guitar, acoustic guitar, and he's incredibly famous and popular. Not many of his songs, the singles these days seem to be just vocals and guitar, but um, certainly when he plays live, as far as I know, that's mostly still what he does. 
And um, yeah, that, that's been a, a great for for people like me who aren't lucky enough that we're able they're able to go out and play their own stuff all the time and they, they're doing covers in the corner of a of a restaurant or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm very I'm grateful to him for for keeping that <laughs> keeping that going and providing a repertoire. But um, yeah, it, so I did loads of gigs like that, and often they could be deeply soul destroying for me. And I can't imagine being somebody who would find that a rewarding or satisfactory, if not rewarding, than just a satisfactory form of being a musician, you know. And that's that. Um, I guess I'm too egotistical. <laughs> 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 but I need to show you my very soul. That's right. Behold! Here's a song about the most painful thing that ever happened in my life. And then here's the second most painful, the third most painful. Fourth one, but that's what I do to people <laughs> the whole night. <laughs> no, not all night. But I do, I do like to kind of make people... I do like to kind of... I mean, a lot of the reason that I play music and write songs and perform on a stage is to try to kind of be accepted by other people and show them all my kind of darkness and weird stuff and sadness and bad things and kind of present them to them in a way which is cathartic for me and hopefully also could be cathartic for them and it often is so I get you know after my shows there's a lot of hugging and people want hugs more than they want autographs they want hugs (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you don't really get that in the corner of a restaurant you know an evening with type of evening I mean, how, how how long are you playing what's your set usually like um so my set just it's just me solo show is a couple of hours yeah i kind of go on for one guy on on stage on his own but i do tell stories and stuff it's not just constant playing so i do i do tell stories and um that's a big big part of it for me and that's something that I did get from the kind of folk scene and it kind of being, that's a thing that's passed down where you'll you'll tell a story about a song before you play the song to kind of, and the story itself needs to be entertaining. It's not just, you know, this is what the song's about for the sake of it. I will think really carefully about how I'm going to introduce a song in a way which is entertaining, often funny, hopefully, you know, and so trying to make people laugh and stuff. Yeah. I can dig it. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, well, you're good at that side of things. You're great showman you know so well thank you sir i do what i can we do what we must john as i like to say but it is it is, it is interesting do you find yourself being in those situations where it's like sometimes you just want to play but other times it's like the the talking part is every bit as important as far as needing to get you know your thing across you know what i mean yeah it's so sometimes I, you just want to sit and play but then there's other times it's like no, I, I feel like uh, I feel like talking a little bit more tonight. <laughs> yeah, I kind of. Do you know what? I have to do it because I every song that I play is in a different tuning. Ah, so there you go. Yeah, that's part of the reason. So I'm, you know, I'm tuning like every fucking string to get right. to the next song. So you know, that's part of the reason that I'll have a bit of a, a chat in between. To, um, but also, it's a it's a part that really helps me if I play in countries where people don't speak English. I really don't like it. So I'll often translate stuff or get stuff translated and, and learn it phonetically, even if I can't speak the language that well. So I'll, and so I can still do that. So I can still make that connection with the audience. And there's also, there's nothing more satisfying than kind of telling a joke in a different language that you don't even fucking understand and, and people laugh. <laughs> that's <really it. laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, you get a real sense of triumph out of that. Absolutely. Well, from a turn, from a tuning point of view, I mean, to me, keeping guitars in tune is a freaking nightmare. And when you're going from from yeah. tuning to tuning to tuning, you got to be in situations where you start the tune. And you're like, yeah, that's yeah, this is not. It happens, you know, especially with the banjo go. pegs because they're not very reliable. Um, I don't know. I mean, the phrase banjo technology, 
It doesn't fill me with confidence. I mean, if I was going to, <laughs> if I was going to like a car showroom and I was going to buy a new, you know, I wanted to buy a new um, SUV or something, and it was the, the salesman said, "Yeah, this car it was made using banjo technology." I mean, <laughs> you're not going to buy that fucking car, are you? No. So they're really unreliable. But um, yeah, I mean, um, also it's always a compromise tuning a guitar, right? And you get used to figuring out exactly how i don't know some people just tune every string exactly with the tuner some people don't some people will do it by ear because they don't really believe that the tuners are correct right um and i i don't use a tuner on stage because my tunings are so different you know through the course of a gig the overall tension of the guitar will change so if i have to change three strings and i use a tuner i'll actually end up having to change all six because the whole guitar will have shifted. I got you. I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. So I always do it by relatively. Um, but yeah, it's it's awful if, if you start a song out, out of tune, especially if you're playing, you know, kind of so, solo. You've got no chance of ever getting a moment to retune right. the guitar when I'm playing. So, um, oh God, there's one video on YouTube where it was an outdoor show and it had been really like baking hot for weeks. It was in Romania. And then I got on stage and just the temperature just dropped. These clouds appeared from nowhere and the humidity went from zero to a hundred, you know. And there was a thunderstorm about 20 minutes into my, my gig, which was awesome. So I got, there was no cover. So I got everybody on the stage because it was the only place that was covered. So it was just me t- just crushed in the middle of all these people with no power playing acoustically. Anyway, it was awesome. But when that happened with the temperature changing, my guitar just suddenly went bleh. Yeah. I have to play the whole song. I didn't know. I just trying to control it or fix it, but I couldn't just fucking. I don't know. I don't. I. I was like halfway through it. You can't really stop and start again at that point. Oh, it was no. so bad. Why does it have to be on the internet? Uh, of course, the internet holds all. <laughs> My favorite thing worse, about that you know? is that some jamoke will see that one video and base his entire opinion about you and your and all your musicality on. I, I saw this thing. It just wasn't that. Great. I love that idea. I love the idea that he would do that. That's uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> All the pressure's off then. Well, there you go. There it is. Did you ever meet anybody who has, oh, what's it called? There's a condition where people can't hear music, they can't make any sense of it. It just sounds oh, no, like, I, I... like noise. A, a music. I can't remember what it is. A musia. I think it's called A musia. I'm pretty sure that's right. I met a guy. I asked him what music he was into because he was asking me about music because he knew that I was a musician. So I asked him, just out of courtesy, what, what kind of music he was into. And he started trying to tell me. And then his wife said, stop lying and just tell him the truth. And he'd said, oh, yeah, so actually, John, I, I, I don't listen to any music because I just don't. I have this condition. It's like a neurological condition. I can't make any sense of it. And it was just, oh, it's just awesome. I was just like, wow, what's that like? That must be, I don't know, not amazing. It's awful. I would hate it to lose that. But also in a way, it's, as a musician, it's a little bit like, oh, wow, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. <laughs> imagine being like everywhere you would go, there would just be this background noise. I could just be the emperor's new clothes at all times. Nobody would know. I could. <laughs> <laughs> You know, an interesting thing you mentioned there just about asking people the music they like. You know, I asked my youngest son, who who just turned 19, he's off at college now, and, uh, I don't know, about a year ago, and he's talking about his friend group and so on and so forth. I asked him, I said, what kind of music are your friends into? And he's like, oh, I have no idea. And I go, what? I go, do you realize that when I was in high school, it's like you would, your whole peer group was yeah, almost so weird. designated by your, you know, yeah. I used to say, you know, erroneous as it may be, I used to say, well, you could tell everything you need to know about somebody, but kind of what music they're into, which I, I no longer prescribe to. But at the time I did. And, and, uh, you know, and that's how your whole friend group was kind of dictated. And you'd have, I you mean, know, for me, other- it was more than that. You know, it was like the, f- I didn't really, you know, find much kind of in common with people at school or they didn't find much in common with me and it wasn't until kind of going out and going to like a a club that plays there was like one club in my hometown where um they would play rock and metal music 
or or indie or grunge. There was a couple of different, like a, a place that would do more kind of indie, place that would do more kind of rock and metal, and then grunge would kind of they both do that because that would grunge was acceptably indie enough and acceptably rock enough to be in to enter either sphere. So, um, so it was going to those places and meeting people that I did have more in common with that kind of maybe made me more into those kinds of music. I discovered a lot of music that way. Anyway, put it put it that way. So, um, yeah, it was really deep for me. Like, it's so important to me. Right, like, exactly. I remember going to the first gig that I ever went to with my dad, and I would have been about 10 years old, just a blues band in an upstairs room at a pub, you know. And I just remember watching the audience as much as listening to the music and seeing, like, just a middle-aged man on his own, maybe dancing in the audience. And maybe he looked a bit silly, or people might say that he looked a bit silly, but nobody was saying, hey, mate, you look like a dick. Stop doing that. Or maybe getting emotional. Maybe uh, some like somebody in the audience, like a, a a man might get emotional at a sad bit, you know, and nobody's saying, <laughs> look at him, he's, he's crying, look, you know. And that was very, very different from my experience of life. <laughs> and I realised that, you know, music and live music was a place where you could express your emotions either on the stage or off the stage. And it was okay. I guess maybe if I'd been in a religious family and we'd been to church, maybe that's the same thing that happens at church, but I don't know. But um, for me, that was, um, you know, kind of life-changing, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so interesting that, you know, I mean, and granted, it could be my, my only my, you know, my son's experience, but it seems like his peer group and, and so on and so forth, that's just kind of the way it is. And then we asked him, you know, well, what kind of music are people listening to in college? You know, he goes, well... It's interesting. I'm in because he, he plays saxophone, and he's in a combo, a jazz combo. There, he's like, he's like, yeah. I asked people what they were into, and they just always say, you know, everything. <laughs> they, they, what kind <laughs> what of music? Oh, every, everything. You can't say you know? that, right? No, it's just come so on. Weird, but you know, but no. If we're riding in the, you know, in the car, and you know, what's what's funny about it is like this one car that I predominantly drive. You know, the dreaded Honda Odyssey. What did I like to say? The Cadillac of minivans, although it's a Honda, but. Uh, We'll be riding, and, and for whatever reason, it never takes my phone. I have to make an effort for it to sync my phone up to the radio. It will always go to anybody else in the car except for me. And so if my son's phone is linked up, and we start listening to his, uh, you know, his shuffle on his iPhone, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's like, you know, he likes German metal, so he'll listen to Rammstein one minute. It'll be, it'll be James Brown the next. And then, like you know, John Coltrane. The next minute, it's it's bizarre, you know. And one one minute, I uh, you know saw him working on his homework. He's listening to Deep Purple. I'm like, this is this is awesome, you know. But by the same token, that the the passion for the music is not the same, you know. At, at one moment, I gave him a um, uh, a, a vinyl player because I had an extra vinyl player, and I said, Hey, John, if you like listening to the records, I got tons of records here. You go. Yeah, I don't think he ever play with it once so my, my point is do you, do you find um younger audiences to be different in the way they process music than from when we were younger or even going back a few years do you find so or, i think or, there's a lot more musicians now than i think so to too i think there's a lot more people playing music a lot more kids playing guitar and the kind of youtube experience of learning guitar means that they're quite often into the technical stuff because there's a visual element to it, I guess. And also because it's a, it's not just about playing, it's about learning and the experience of learning with YouTube. You want to learn and get better and better and better. You level up, you know? And um, yeah, so I find that there's definitely a lot of that. I find that, um, I don't know, people kind of say like modern pop music is, 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 is bad or something. And, I don't listen to very much of it, you know what I mean? But um, So maybe I only listen to good stuff. But as far as I know, the most played track on YouTube, or one of them, is by Triple X Tentacion. And I think he was a he was a genius, you know? I think he was an uh, incredible genius. I don't know if you know who that is. but it's like I, a, I don't even know who that is, to be honest. So he's, he's like, he was a singer-songwriter, MC, like a rapper. Um, and... He's, he only made a couple of albums and he died and he had a very brutal, short and brutal life. But I think he was a prop. Like some of his kind of guitar-based tracks 
They're often very simple. It just might just be guitar and vocals. And other stuff might be quite produced with, um, you know, synths and sequences and loads of stuff. And um, and brilliantly produced. But, um, yeah, some of his guitar stuff sounds like Jeff Buckley, you know, really, really similar. And he was into Kurt Cobain. He was really into that side of kind of rock music as well as being into, um, like, hip-hop and stuff. So, yeah, I, th I just think that there's really great music out there and the musicianship is really off the charts. Yeah, Incredible. it is definitely, it, I agree with you with that. But there's definitely still a lot of music that I that I don't like. Not necessarily, I don't, I would never not like something on principle just because it's commercial and really tacky. I really like commercial tacky stuff sometimes. Um, but yeah, um, there's definitely stuff that I don't like, um, for sure. But it's not like I don't like a particular genre. It's just, you know, I just right. don't like listening to some stuff because I have the attention span of a fruit fly. So it needs to be, <laughs> needs to keep me interested and also push my emotional buttons constantly. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> well, I can't take it. It's too boring. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, other than, you know, the guy you just mentioned, is there, are there other things you've been listening to as of late of, of I'll tell you, or is there, or is the kind of thing that you like to? Are you re? Because I I find myself doing this all the time, where I'll rediscover or find. Oh, that's great! That's an awesome thing to do. I'm going to look at my uh, on my my shuffle and see what I. Oh, your shuffle, see what comes up. I did not. Yeah, I won't just stick on shuffle because it might be too too horrendous. So yeah, I recently added like a Robert Cray album. Right. Um, and it's partly to do with listening to a lot on my phone these days. So like my record collection, I don't. I might forget about something, forget about an album, and then it just pops into my head for whatever reason. I was like, oh, God, I need to add that to my uh, library. Um, I've got a lot of Chris Thiley at the top of my uh, recently added stuff. I don't know if you know Chris Thiley. He plays mandolin again. He's a genius. I think maybe the best musician in the world right now. He's got, um, um, but he's kind of bluegrass in the past, but now he just... He's, just defies all genres. There's just no oh, awesome. Well, he, plays, he plays Bach. He plays all kinds of. Um, I think just every genre. He's just no stopping that dude. Um, but I met him recently, so I don't know. After I saw him play, and, and I met him, and I was like, okay, I'm just listening to everything that he's ever done. <laughs> so it's so amazing. His, how do you spell his name? Um, it's uh, Chris, and then Thiley is T H I L E. Um, he has a band called Punch Brothers, but he also oh, releases yeah, stuff under his own name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's um, psh, he's a very nice man as well. Um, I have to say, um, yeah. And but I don't know. Recently, I've been obsessed with Nina Simone. Like absolutely, oh, just yep. can't stop listening to Nina Simone. Like, she's just obviously an incredible musician, amazing voice, amazing pianist, but also just an incredible writer. And arranger of music and so clever and anyway yeah I'm recently obsessed like to the point I want to make an album of just Nina Simone songs because it's just so good <laughs> yeah perfect well what kind of stuff do you have coming up in the future here what's your what's your schedule looking like um so I'm touring in the UK um at the moment I've got a first or oh, second one in Manchester tomorrow night and then um next year I've got stuff booked in kind of gigs wise and traveling to places doing a couple of guitar camps and things in the summer next year that'll be great and then I have some stuff that I've been doing I've been working on a load of arrangements so it's a thing with fingerstyle kind of modern fingerstyle acoustic guitar that people will do covers with just the guitar and kind of you know they'll do the a bass line and melody and all the stuff at the same time right and that's a, a thing and it's obviously really big on um, YouTube or whatever as well and I kind of I mean I've done a couple of tracks like that in the past but I kind of shied away from it even though I really loved doing it because everyone was doing it and a lot of the ways that people were doing it not all there's some amazing ones that I love but it just became a thing where it's like how close can I get to the original record with just an acoustic guitar right and it almost sounds like somebody's taken like the score or some of the score or you know the piano vocal guitar book or whatever and programmed it into a MIDI guitar <laughs> and uh, I don't really get anything from it and um, yeah so I've been trying to kind of 
do a few of those things because I just decided that actually I really love doing that. I should have not do it just because other people are doing it like so many other people are doing it. And if I think I've got something to to offer with it, then I should do it. And it's also really fun to bang those things out at gigs as well. So Yes, sure. So yeah, I've been doing that. So I probably will record those as an EP or depends how many I do. But yeah, so yeah, so I might I might do that as the next kind of recording. So it'll be instrumental in that case. And then uh, in the meantime, I'm just really itching to to write new songs at the moment. Um, and so yeah, I've got I've been coming up with bits and pieces and just recording little bits and pieces of ideas. And uh, yeah, so I can make another album. But yeah, so I you... haven't started recording it in earnest yet. I'm interested to see what your take is on the the idea of you know coming out with new material. Especially in the in the age of, I mean, of course, you know, we come from the CD generation where we come out a new, come out with a new record. Obviously, we have a digital footprint. You need to put it out on, and then it's like we used to sell CDs at gigs, and that's what we did. And I and I'm kind of to the point now where I'm wondering, you know, there'll always be the diehard people that are going to buy the CDs, especially for the initial run, and like, hey, buy X amount, I'll sign them, and yada yada yada. Uh, but most of the people, most of the gigs, they, you know, they, they buy everything else, you know, all the other different merch things that you have. Uh, but they'll buy the CDs and they'll, they'll say stuff like, well, um, you know, I won't even listen to it, but I just want to buy it to support you. So you can, yeah, sign yeah. It, so, which is nice. so, which is nice, but what, what is your, what is your take on that? Are you still of the mindset of whatever release you're going to come out with? You're always going to do some kind of physical manifestation of it so that you can sell no, it at probably- gigs. Probably not every release, but certainly most of them. But that might change what that physical manifestation is. So my last album, there's a there's a version. It's like a deluxe edition, which has it does have two CDs in it and a DVD, but it's also a book. So it's like a it looks like a vinyl record in terms of it's like a twelve inch square thing, but inside it's like a hardback book. So so it's filled with illustrations, photos, handwritten lyrics, stories, and stuff um all about the album so it's kind of like an enhanced album experience and i really like the idea of that and i really love it i love it to the point that i think it like actually just releasing a a book as as an accompaniment to the audio not not, i don't mean a novel i just mean like a like sure like a a super duper liner notes right exactly i got you i think it's a really cool experience that really enhances the album and um yeah and you know for people like us who are guitarists with fans who are guitarists you can maybe put transcriptions in there too or something um but i I quite like the idea of that so that might be something that i do in the future um i don't know if anybody's done that before in which case i like it should have kept it to myself (laughs) but no maybe somebody will do it and see how it goes yeah um oh it's rather somebody else did it first to be honest because it might <laughs> might not work out, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I would probably always do the physical thing as well. Yeah, and the vinyl thing is an interesting because people like to buy vinyl, but you have to plan so far out now in order to get get product, as the case may be. They're also really heavy, Greg. Yes, they are. They're no so shit. damn heavy. Yes, uh, totally. Oh my god! So it's really hard to travel around with a load of vinyl records. Um, but yeah, maybe we need to, to flexi disc. I'm all about the flexi disc. Ah, but I think maybe that's my next format. I'm sure the hipsters are already onto the flexi disc. You know what I mean by a flexi disc, right? So you no, sometimes I, on a cover of a magazine you would get like a vinyl oh, yeah. Yeah, single, yeah, 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 yeah. But, it, but it's not actually vinyl. It's just plastic and it's floppy. Got it. But you can put it on a record player. You have to. You just have to put it on top of a real record. Right. Otherwise, the needle wouldn't sit on it. But yeah, so um, flexi. Yeah, maybe I'll do. Maybe I'll release uh, my next album on flexi disc. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, I was talking about you know I, because people have done this in the past. You know, you release. You know, instead of like having a physical thing of the book you're talking about with the DVD and the tracks of putting it all on you know on a on a little USB drive and selling that at gigs, but that's not that's not tremendously sexy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's quite hard to make that sexy. Some people do make beautiful kind of custom USB drives, but even then it's a weird thing. And then even USB is becoming a bit 
old. I'm, I mean, it's not is. like USB, we all still use USB, but in terms of like actually storing stuff on the USB stick, it's not that common these days, or, or just even having the files. You know, if people are listening to stuff on their phone, having a USB stick is right. not that exactly. exciting, but I don't know. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. This, I think basically the problem isn't that we should be trying to find ways of releasing physical stuff. The problem is why are we asking this question? And the reason we're asking it is because uh, streaming doesn't really work. No. You know, in ter- terms of a, a model for an industry, and the guy who owns it, is a complete Spotify that is right, a complete fucking asshole who, um, you know, also you know, develops helps develop military tech. And uh, right, he's just you know, I remember the most obnoxious thing I heard him say was just uh, he did this one of those you know, weird com- conferences that, that CEOs of tech companies do where they'll stand on a massive stage with like a, a cheering audience, presumably all their employees. <laughs> I don't get what that is. Why are you doing that? And then, you know, Elon Musk will smash up one of his cars with a right. baseball bat to prove that it can't be smashed up with a baseball baseball bat. But actually it can. It's like, <laughs> what? Cut the cameras. Right. Cut the cameras. Delete right. the file. Why? Are you doing, why? Anyway, but yeah, so he's Daniel Eck, who owns Spotify, did one of those. He was saying, well, yeah, musicians just need to make more music. They just need to make more albums. Was, what? What do you think this is? Right. We're not fucking chickens laying eggs. <laughs> it's not like a biological process. Right. It's just like, <laughs> we can't avoid. It's well, just, that, it's really yeah, hard. It, you, not everybody can do that, you know? I thought about this the other day, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan, as I think most people are, maybe not everybody, but, you know, you, th- you think about the fact that those recordings and how impactful they were, you know, had about 40 minutes worth of music on it, right? And, and they had nine records. It's like, you know, artists that started making, you know, stuff putting out in the, the CD era, you were expected to come up with, you know, 60 minutes of music. Yeah, yeah. And, and you put out, you know, at this point, I think I've got 18, 19 records out and you're, you're expected to have this massive uh, output of music to make pennies on that stuff. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just yeah. such a... And, and I mean, I don't, I don't get down about it because you know I I, I can't complain about you know my, my career has been what it has been, which is I basically get to say and play whatever I want and maintain some kind of a you know middle class existence. But uh, it just seems so you know twisted that the, that that yeah, shift it, has been made where the va- the devaluation. So many of- ways, the internet is really changing music in a lot of ways. So, for example, my friend Tom Quayle, he's never released an album. And he, yeah, he's really well known, and he's got an Ibanez signature model guitar, and right. Uh, but he is really—he just releases music a different way, and he feels a pressure, you know. Anyway, but he, he might, may or may not like feel a pressure to do that. But there's no reason why he necessarily should. I, I I judged a guitar competition recently, and it was kids. You know, it was, um, the oldest competitor was like 18, and um, they're all playing solo guitar pieces. And this one person, she played a really nice piece, but it was only really short. It was like, I don't know, less than 60 seconds long. And I was just thinking to myself that I can't really... Other people are playing quite complete compositions, like finished songs. So it's not really fair for me to kind of let her win or give her the same score that I might be giving those other people. But then I actually thought... I actually know artists who are writing 60-second tunes because they're young enough that that's their main outlet would be Instagram videos, TikTok and stuff. And that was how long you were allowed on Instagram. And that's changed now, but it was... So that's become a thing where you get these little 60-second guitar etudes, really. Right, exactly. And that's not... There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just a different... It's weird to me and probably to you, but... You know, the, the reason that, you know, all the Beatles singles were three minutes long isn't because they wanted to write songs that were three minutes long. It's because that's how long a record was. So, right. you know, it's um, it's just the same thing again, really. Yeah, right. But it is, it is definitely changing things. And you're right. I mean, I remember again, another friend of mine saying, but discovering how many times one of his albums had been downloaded on um, file sharing back in the day. 
you know, illegally file shared and being really aghast at how much money he'd lost as a result of that. And I was like, well, that's not really money that you've lost. You definitely never had it. And somebody file sharing doesn't mean that they would they would buy. It's not like a choice between one or the other necessarily. You're not going to necessarily buy something that you would take for free. Right, But exactly. But also, look at the other side of it. Your kind of entire career is built by people sharing your music on YouTube. And you, it's not really up to you to place the boundary of this, okay, so this video that I've put up of this track with great audio, this video I've put on YouTube, please share that freely and widely with everybody that you know. But this file that I've put on the internet, which is an MP3 or an audio file, do not share this. This is, this is my intellectual copyright. You may not share this. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right. I'm, he's tr we can try to make that boundary, but it doesn't actually make any sense. There's no actual reason for it, except, you know, there is, but you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to persuade people of that reason to believe it. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword, as you said. You know, it's, uh, it's a complicated thing. I don't know what the easy answer is, except, you know, make Spotify pay more and that would help. Yes. Yes. Shoot Danielette into space, which to be honest, he's probably working on. I would imagine he's probably figuring out how to get into space right, already. Exactly. <laughs> I'm happy to help hurry that along. <laughs> well, listen, my friend, it's been an excellent conversation. Thanks so much for making some time. Really You're so welcome. It. Thank and, you very, uh, very much for having me. I think I'm going to be over there and... Um, in April, we're looking at trying to get oh, yeah? that's being booked. So hopefully, I might is, be is that just a, a a tour or under your yeah, name, would or would a, it be that would be a tour with my with my trio with uh, my son on drums and the and the marvelous Toby Lee Marshall on the Hammond organ. So amazing! Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Our, is he a bass pedals guy then? Uh, he does some pedals. Mostly, it's left hand. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, and, yeah, that's uh, a whole art form. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, that. It's really incredible. It's like, you know, the kind of Joe Pass walking bass or whatever thing, but the keyboard, you know, version of that. The fact yeah, that somebody can, like, keep a bass line going while playing a solo. Right. And he's really, blows really my mind. a good bass player. I mean, it's, his bass lines are fantastic. And yeah, yeah. He grooves like a demon, and then he solos like a demon. And uh, and plus, he's... Uh, of the same kind of out of his mind ilk as myself and my son so it's it's a beautiful thing <laughs> awesome. the humor wow. level at all times is high which is important okay. in this that's nice to hear <laughs> that's nice to hear yeah yeah that's awful if you're the only one laughing at what you're saying happens right to me. happens to me a lot <laughs> really well listen it's been a pleasure please say hello to uh, Tom Quayle for me uh, I we will we were at a guitar camp together this summer, and and uh, we took him. He, he got off the plane, and uh, he woke up the next morning. He was kind of he was jet lagged, and we're like, "Come on, Tom, we're going to a place called Bucky's." And he's like, "Where does this Bucky's place?" And ever since then, every time we stop at a Bucky's, we 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 post it on whatever social media, and we copy him on it. He's like, "I'm so jealous." <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'll have to ask him what it is. Well, Bucky's is, is like this massive. Um, a massive gas station chain that started in Texas. It's like the biggest okay. gas station you've ever seen. But inside of right. it, they've got like bona fide uh, barbecue. So you can get like brisket and and pulled pork and smoked turkey. And then they have like a a massive beef jerky bar that you can get. And then they a have every permutation. Bar. Oh, it's insane. And then every mutation of treat known to me. So it's like a all that's the greatest and the worst about America in one. Yeah, I couldn't eat any of that. I'd, I'd be, um, I, w I would feel really ill <laughs> really, yes. really quickly. Tom has a much, much tougher constitution than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, ask him about it. He'll give you the full lowdown. I will. I'd be going in there and looking at everything and going, I can't eat any of that. And I don't, I want to order some, like a salad. And just, well, they have great that, salads there as well. That's trouble. the thing. Okay, they got, right. They got great Nobody's salads. Gonna... <laughs> they got great treats. Would, would I be got... judged, though? Be honest. Would I be judged? Oh, there's no judgment. No, there's no there's judgment. There's no judgment at Bucky's. You okay. can go to Bucky's and let your freak flag fly. Okay, thank God. 
Thank God. All right, well, take care of yourself, my friend. We'll see you down the road. I will, okay. Cheers, Greg. I hope to see you in the UK. I'll do my best. See you, dude. Thanks so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely appreciate you caring and checking out these podcasts. We certainly have a good time doing them. Again, it's brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Don't be afraid to go to wildwoodguitars.com. Check out what they have going on. I actually go there every night and visit their new arrivals page. It's kind of a kind of an illness, really. And of course, our friends at Fishman Transducers, fishman.com, making all the greatest accoutrements for your stringed instruments. Stay tuned for more. Greg Koch here. Thanks so much for tuning in.